pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for your grace. And um, even as I open up the word, as we get into the message, we invite your Holy Spirit here. Fill this place. Let it not be my words, Father. Uh, have your way with us as a church. Help us as we process through trauma and, and, and things that, that just are really difficult to handle sometimes in our own strength. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, I just want to say what a great job Megan and some of the other team are doing. Uh, we had this thing where she was so nervous about running communion today, wondering whether she should even. And I was saying, yeah, like communion is just done with people as they eat, as often as we meet. You're just facilitating all of us pointing ourselves to God. And, and I thought she did a really fantastic job. So I just really want to honor Megan for that. Okay, so you are at the end of the three parts of our series of Overcome. Right? It is, I think, the hardest part of the series. Um, you know, startings are, startings are very essential. It's, it's, very, it's very important to start things right. But oftentimes, how you finish when you deal with trauma. Oftentimes, how you finish up, that's where the majority drop off. It's like going to the gym. Kick off great, and then 20 years on, you're just watching Netflix. You know, uh, or, or how when I was, um, was it when I was doing consulting, you know, we would, we would do these amazing strategy pitches to our clients who would pay us hundreds and thousands of dollars. And then what we would do is we, we would put the key success indicators, 10 years, 15 years, you know, just kind of out of reach a little bit so that you're long gone by the time they, they're reviewing to see if this thing works or not, you know. But here's the thing about the ending part of any process is eventually... You find yourself there. Uh, this year, we're celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary. We, we pitched so much. We planned about our early dating years and what our marriage would be like, how it would be like to raise kids and whatever. And then, but we never really prepped for year 20. And then, you know, it comes. Or right now, we're in the midst of moving in to our, our, our building. And we talk about, wow, let's raise funds for the building project. Let's plan this building. Let's do all these kinds of things. But here we are few months out, and we've got to figure out what are we going to do when we're permanently in Box Hill and how are we going to serve a community that is around us? Um, so eventually, everybody gets, if you are doing it right, if you are doing it right, eventually you get to the ending part of this overcome process. Eventually you get to uh, the, the finishing, the, the how do you... Take the next step in a changed life as a different person. Maybe never reclaiming what you have lost, but moving into a new future. Um, however, we have taken two Sundays to carefully get to this point. So I just want to take a moment before I kick off this sermon to acknowledge those who are right now dealing with trauma. It's not good. If you're just visiting this Sunday, it's not good to only hear the ending part of this series because it'll sound like just platitudes. 
it'll sound as if, whereas what's really intended is that God walks us through pain, walks us through trauma. Um, you know, uh, I knew Auntie Shirley and Uncle Ing Seong, and, and our sincerest condolences go out to Auntie Shirley's family and, and the, her home group. And, you know, she, um, she studied under my grandmother in the class of one of the early members of our church. So I, I know that sadness, lament, hurt are all a normal, unfortunately, are all a normal part of our human experience. But it is one that we can take God along for, despite how tough it is and how dark it can get. Um, so if you've just tuned in, can I like, just encourage you, go back. We have recordings of our audio and video sermons and, and just follow along through it because we're anchoring on Joseph's story. All right? We're following along uh, and we're asking the question, what do we do when life hurts us? What do we do when life hurts us? And uh, Just to catch you up on Joseph's story really quickly, uh, Joseph lived in a brutal, brutal world. All right. uh, Genesis is gritty and real. People are killing each other. Just in, the, just in the chapters before Joseph starts, it talks about the rape of a woman, and then all of Joseph's brothers take revenge and wipe out men, women, and child and plunder everything just as revenge. And that's, remember we talked last week, that's that cycle of hurt, where hurt people hurt other people. And that was the world that Genesis is in. It's not a children's story. Genesis is not a children's story. Out of jealousy then, Joseph's brothers, they betray him, right? And they sell him to slavery, maybe in his teenage years. So just think about traumatic things that have happened to you in your teens. Like I, I think back on my teens and, and how it's formed, um, it's formed me even today. But then one after another, despite doing his best, he gets hurt Again and again, Joseph gets hurt again and again. He's falsely accused, he's imprisoned, he's forgotten, right? And then by the time life really turns around for him, and we get to our key verse, uh, right at the end, he's put in charge of Egypt. He's like number two. There's a famine all around the whole entire region, um, and Egypt have got supplies. And then his brothers turn to him for help. And he doesn't respond with vengeance. Instead, he responds with love and generosity. Right? And so let's read our key verse for, to, for this series. But Joseph said to them, Don't fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. So Joseph's not pretending. Like he knows what his brothers really intended. He's not like, oh, no, 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 really my brothers mean well. They didn't mean well. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. As you know, we're exegeting this passage. In the first week, we did the first verse. Uh, last week, we did verse 20. And this week, we're doing 21, which is, So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
I'm going to do a very, very quick recap because I need to take everybody along on this journey. I'm conscious that there are people who have just showed up today. Week one, we looked at mosaic and we looked at how different responses to trauma can actually produce different results. With this study where people are just turning to alcohol and drugs and it actually makes it worse for you in your recovery. Yet other responses can actually turn your life in such a way that you become a better person, better off, a newer life, as a, not because these things happen to you, but because of your response to that thing. So we looked at um, this acronym, THRIVE. We did TAKE STOCK, which is being really honest, that maybe you're never going to get back that childhood. Maybe you're never going to get that thing that was lost or hurt or that person who passed away. Then we went to harvest hope and we looked at there's a possibility. You're still alive. There's a possibility for a new, different future. Just like a mosaic is built, build something new out of that vase. Not trying to build exactly that vase back again, which we can't do. Then week two, which is last week, we looked at reauthor, And we looked at the process of writing your life with God and breaking that cycle of hurt. So that was reauthor and identifying change. And, and one of the key lines for me for that session was that God's story does not look like the one you write for yourself, right? We, we, we went through that process of God's not following your script. I'm pretty certain Joseph would not have written this kind of story for his life and neither would Jesus when he said, please take this cup away from me, but nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. So we looked at what it was to um, sort of write your life with God and, and identify changes that would take place. And this week, we're ending the series with express change. And we're looking at valuing the change and expressing change. And uh, this whole model, the Thrive model, is actually what's used by the Victorian Council of Churches, which we head up the White Horse region for. And we went for the training a few years back. Uh, but this model is used for when we as churches go and minister to people who have uh, gone through, uh, we did the, the fires that, that have taken place, and, or, or even the terrorist uh, threats and the, you know, the guys who ram their cars into people and stuff like that. We go in and we work through trauma as volunteers to help people process the nonsensical things of life. So I'm hoping it'll be uh, actually helpful for us as a church. And what's really good is Joseph... Uh, emulate, like, Joseph doesn't know the model. The model is following Joseph, <laughs> right? So today, let's get right into it. We're going to do valuing, valuing change. Valuing change. So right, you've gone through, and you're, the step before was identifying change. So you're looking and you're saying, in my new life, the story was all of this hurt and pain right up until this moment and it stops here with me. It stops right now. And we're going to start a new life. We're going to, I'm going to do things different. Uh, there is a new future ahead of me. God has got a new plan for me. And so you've identified things that are going to change in your life. But then as soon as you do that, what researchers have found is you start doubting yourself. These first few steps that you take in that new direction, in a new life, they seem so useless and futile when you're making those steps to recovery. Because it's not, you haven't really journeyed years in that yet. 
There's, you, you, we find ourselves taking comfort in dwelling in the past, right? We, the, let's not kid ourselves. It's really comforting after you break up with somebody to listen to sad songs, right? You know, and eat ice cream, you know? And so you find yourself in this new world moving forward, yet the old stuff is so valuable. It's so precious to you. Those memories are so dear and, you're, and you just want to hold on. And so part of this process is you value. You go, hey, no, 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 no. I know those things are in the past, but what's ahead? That's really important. It's really valuable. And oh, we want to ask this question, like what good can possibly come from the things that have happened to me? Um, a very influential book in my life, anyway, um, uh, a lot of people have read it. It's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and um, Holocaust survivor. And he, he talks about how he would never wish the Holocaust on, on anyone, right? But he talks about how he makes sense of what has happened to him and how he then moves on. And a large part of that was expressing and valuing the change. A large part of it was, I now need to be the one to help others who've gone through this. I need to now do something meaningful in my life. I now need to not just muck around and waste my life. Too much has happened. Second um, Corinthians 4, 16-17 says this. So we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It doesn't matter what is happening on the outside. Inside, something is going on. Inside, God is working in me to produce great future results. Great future results. And in case you think that these words written by Paul are just flippant and they're just easy consolation words that, that get said to people who have tough times, I want to remind you of the kind of trouble Paul has gone through. For Paul to have written these words, it has been birthed. It has been, it, is, it has been birthed out of pain and suffering in his own life. He has come to this conclusion that even though all kinds of rubbish goes on in his life, inside something good is taking place. And so I want to read his own words uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, in that same uh, letter that he writes to the Corinthians, he talks about some of the trauma that goes on in his life. And oh my goodness, I don't think there's a single person in this room that can match up with Paul. Because he goes, well, you know, I've had imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times the, the 40 lashes, less one. That's the one with the with the whip and the things on the whip that rip your skin. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And then he goes on. There's so much more. There's like, oh my goodness, there's robbers. And, he's, and I, I skipped through all of that. 
through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and a part of other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. So there's mental anguish as well. And so Paul is not saying, Paul's not saying these words, we do not lose heart. He's not saying these words lightly. So we must not take them lightly either. A great price was paid. These are not platitudes. It's an insight that has been born out of experience. It's been born out of suffering. And it's been born out of an intimacy with God. Uh, you know, uh, I was uh, doing my uh, two years in Chicago in my master's while I was studying there. And we had a guest uh, lecturer come into one of our chapels. I'm going to pronounce his name really off. Anyway, his name was Tabithi Anyawabili. Yeah. Do not ask me to pronounce it again. Anyway, he spoke to us about suffering, and I still remember his, I still remember his message, and it, 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 it got highlighted in, in one of my news feeds this week, and I thought, oh yeah, I was there when he said that. And he said this one thing, which uh, seems so nonsensical to me, but he said, your suffering, Christian, is your slave. I'm like, what? Yes, your suffering is your, is your slave. It's working. It's working for you. So his quote is this, which I love. It's working for you to produce an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So suffering is supposed to work for you. That means, and I still remember him saying it, his, when, when, you, when suffering knocks at your door, when it comes to your bedroom in the middle of the night, when it torments your heart and your soul, you say, welcome my slave, produce for me the glory that God has designed. Produce for me. I'm going through this so good fruit had better come out of it. And oh my goodness, I was like, I was blown away because it, I, it resonated so much with me. Like I can remember even, um, and so I'm going to tell you like stories of my childhood, right? Uh, let me just tell you now, it wasn't that traumatic. So it was a, this is not a competition, okay? But it was traumatic for me. It was traumatic for me when I was young. Um, and we got a whole bunch of high schoolers here. They're gearing up for their camp. Uh, I still remember when I broke up with my first girlfriend. Okay? Seemingly very traumatic. Um, I cried the whole night, right? I had to break up this girl because my mom didn't like her. And you all know what happens when my mom doesn't like anything. All right. So I'm like, I can't figure out a good reason why I'm breaking up with this girl. But... Nevertheless, I would just, you know, she made some valid points. And nevertheless, I'm just going to honor my parents. Who knows? We might get together later on. Things might happen, right? And so I, I just thought as a, as a matter of between me and God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the high road. I'm going to honor your mom and we're just going to do this. And so uh, I, I, I broke up with her. I was so broken up. And I remember driving. 
and just driving and driving, crying and driving, thinking of all kinds of things, right? Anyway, and then landing, finding myself randomly at the at Mornington Peninsula because I had just driven, I don't know, straight downwards and, and hit the end of, you know, where Australia ends, I guess, where we meet the sea. <laughs> and so like, oh, you know, like, but all through that, and I sat there in the car, which I don't recommend. Uh, I was working back then, so I, you know, I wasn't really a teenager. Um, but I sat in that car until the sun came up the next day. But I remember saying to myself and to God, oh, I'm doing this for you, God. This better be worth it. This better be good. I'm doing, oh my goodness, this suffering that I'm going through, it better be good. God, you better have somebody. You better have that. I'm going to honor you and you better, you better come through. You better come through. You better come through. And now I'm 20 years married to a different woman who is amazing. And I'm like, oh my goodness. That paid off. Like, <laughs> I'm good, God. I'm, I'm good. We're good. All sorted. You know? But here's the thing. Your suffering, you can either view your suffering as you can go, oh, this, this thing is going to slow me down. It's, gonna, it's, it's wasting away my life. Or you can say, this suffering is my slave. And it is going to work for me to produce the kind of character. You know, Romans uh, 5, 3 to 4 says, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And then character produces hope, right? And so it is working at some level to transform you into the kind of person. That when we started the series, we said that the God of all comfort comforts you so that you can comfort others with the same comfort with which God has comforted you. All right, so uh, I tell you, these are, so I want to encourage you. Um, when thoughts of pity, sadness, I'm hurt, oh, this is so unfair to me, they come knocking at your door. I want to encourage you, just like, say these words, come on in. You're producing for me something that you don't even realize. You're producing for me an eternal weight of glory because I'm going to be more and more like Christ. That Christ himself was not a stranger to suffering. He was not a stranger to suffering. Neither is Joseph. You are in good company of people who have had tough things go on in their life, yet go on to transform the world. Go on to continue doing good. Go on to be the kind of person who makes the world a better place and becomes more and more like Christ. Um, so anyway, so that's the, um, for all the youth that are here. I just, I just went through this like nostalgic sort of go back to my youth days because my, now my daughter is 19. And, you know, it's probably about the age that I wrote, maybe about 19. Anyway, we started dating at 19, right? You were 19. I was 21. Okay, great. Um, but it just reminded me, actually, so I want to speak, if I could, to all of the high schoolers here, all the younger guys here. It reminded me that even when the stakes were very low, seemingly, it was a big deal back then, but seemingly when the stakes were really low and the Holy Spirit prompted me 
to respond in godly ways. That, those formative struggles and trauma, whatever it is, of my younger days, they actually became a template for my older life. Then, when more suffering than a girl breaking up with you or you breaking up with a girl, when more suffering came on, I was then able to do that same thing, but with bigger stakes. And so I want to encourage you younger guys, like as you go through what seems to be really tough seasons in your life, really dark periods in your life, and maybe you're contemplating all kinds of terrible things in your head, I want to encourage you at this age, in this season of your life, you can say to suffering, you are my slave. At 15, 14, 16, you can start producing good fruit in my life. Just wait. Just wait till I'm 43 or 65 like Roger or whatever. <laughs> Not funny. <laughs> Just look at the kind of fruit that I produce. You know, in the future, in the future, we have prepared an old man. Just <laughs> yeah, okay. Not funny. <laughs> All right. Okay. Next. So, so, so value that change. Value that change. It is so important that that the suffering that has happened in your life that you wouldn't wish on anybody else, you wouldn't wish on yourself, but it's happened. Value that it is kicking off important change in your life. So then, once you've found that value, don't jump straight to expressing it. Don't, don't jump straight to the end. Because otherwise, you just end up, as soon as something bad happens to a person, you go up to them, oh, it's okay, God will forget it, and just, why don't you go do the right thing? It's too fast. You've jumped straight to the end. Joseph doesn't do that. All of Scripture doesn't do that. We've got tons of passages of Scripture which you deal with sadness, lament, uh, God journeys through, okay? But, it does get to a good place. If you follow with God, there is good that comes out because God intends good from the evil that other people intend. So we get to express, and I love Joseph. So we're going to focus on this, this last verse. Do not fear, Joseph says. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph knew that it was not enough to just overcome mentally. These words, these words, they're not mental words. I will provide for you. Comforted them and spoke kindly. They're not mental words. This is not just an internal, okay, I have internally, I've let you go. Internally, we're resolved. And externally, I hate your guts. I'll never see you again and I hope you die. And then... Like, that's, that's not Joseph. Joseph has actually somehow overcome the trauma of his brothers, you know, throwing him in a pit and, and selling him to slavery. He's somehow overcome in a way that it has led to changed actions with him. Joseph knew that it wasn't enough to overcome mentally. In fact, I mean, we, we, we know this, right? That when we are processing through trauma... What we do with ourselves, with our actions, with our lives, what we do with ourselves makes a big difference in our ability to respond. So, 
things like looking after your sleep, good exercise, diet, staying in contact with your friends and social connections, all of those types of things have been proven to dramatically have a positive impact on recovery. But today, I'm not even talking about those things. Those are like they're known. Go and see your psychologist or whatever. They'll tell you those types of things. Make sure you get enough exercise. Make sure you get enough sleep, right? Joseph took it one step further. I don't know if you realize that. Joseph went one step further in his expressing of being a changed person. One step further. It's one thing to say, I forgive you for what you have done and then move on with your life. And it's another thing to say, let me help you. Let me be the one to show you comfort. He, I think he goes two steps further because in, in the passage, it says, Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The Bible doesn't even need to write those words down because any normal person reading through the account will understand that Joseph is a very generous person already. That Joseph has already done good things given the circumstances. So why does the Bible have to explicitly say that he's talking kindly to his brothers, that he's comforting his brothers? Why is that emotional element there? It's because that was what Joseph, that was the emotion that Joseph was feeling. That was actually what jo Joseph actually had worked through it. Joseph was actually speaking kindly to his brother. Like, I've got, I've got kids. I, I, I'm sure you guys know what it's like when your siblings or whatever fight or your kids fight and the parents come down, say sorry to the other person. And then you're... Arr! So you get the hug or the, the hugging like this. Like, and nobody's talking kindly to anybody. Right? Joseph... This passage is in there because it's a sign that Joseph has actually really made that jump. This is not God the Father saying, make up with your, your brothers and Joseph going, okay, okay, I got to do it. He has promised to look after his brothers and their children. He's comforting them and he's talking to them nicely. Somehow Joseph has taken the good fruit of whatever suffering has produced. Somehow Joseph has taken all of the rubbish things that have happened in to, to him and he's allowed that to produce in him good fruit. That's why it says that, that he... Um, that's why it says in here, God meant it for good. And then he goes, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know, Joseph has saved. Like, what makes a person do that? How, how can a person get to that point where he can be comforting and speaking kindly? Because Joseph ended up saving not only his brothers, but many nations. And not only the many nations that came to them for food, but the very future of Israel that led to the 
very gospel we have today. And not only that, I think Joseph, in doing that turnaround, he also saved his own life. He saved his own life from the crippling bitterness and resentment and hurt that can kill a person from the inside. And that's what, like, as we sort of get to the end of the series, I, I really want to implore you. I want to, if I could, I understand that trauma and difficulty, it, it's a sweeping term for a range of injustices and terrible things that go on in this world. So I'm not trying to make light of it. But all of that confusion in that whole forest, all of that, anything that you can imagine, they're only temporary and they're only here in this world. That's why early Christians could say, do your worst and I'll do my best. Or uh, they would say, you can take my life, but you can't take Jesus. They would, they would pull on things like that. And yet at the, end of, at the end of whatever story it was possible, you see David at the end of his Psalms, you see David at, at the end of his tether even, and he will say, yet, and yet I will praise the Lord. Yet I'll praise the Lord. And so I, I want to encourage you that it is possible to come out as your life bottoms out. It's possible for you to come out of that and grab hold of a new life that God has for you, a new changed life, a new purpose in life, a new uh, thing that you can do, something that you can express to other people, something that you can, the fruit of which can come out and be a blessing to many, many others. Um, I want to end with this, um, I guess, prayer that was said by uh, Francesca. Oh, my goodness. All these famous people whose names I can't pronounce. Francesco Di Pietro de Bernardoni, right? Better known as Francine, Francis of Assisi. Anyway, he, um, he said this prayer, which I'm hoping will be our prayer, uh, that that it becomes that kind of end zone for us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and so St. Francis of Assisi, he prayed this. This was what kept him going. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Make me an instrument of your peace. Make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. The most helpful, joyful people are ones who have overcome sadness themselves. Because then when you comfort somebody and, and you have dealt a rough hand in life, and you're comforting somebody else, they know that your words have not come cheap. They know that you're not just making stuff up, right? We all have been comforted by the friend who knows nothing. 
we've all been comforted by the by the person. Oh, it'll be fine, or whatever. It'll be. And it's it, it almost goes into that category of it was too fast, too easy, too cheap, and you have no idea what you're talking about anyway. So why are you even trying to comfort me? But the person who has gone through suffering, when they turn around and they do good, it transforms the world. That's why Isaiah says of Jesus that he was no stranger to suffering, that he was bruised and hurt for our iniquities. That's why Jesus Christ is the supreme example. And I, I love, you know, theologians say that Jesus is like a type, or um, like Joseph is like a type or an example of Jesus, right? And it, it, it mirrors so close that it's almost uncanny. Because just as Joseph, in his final years, this is the last chapter of the book of Genesis, in his final, in his final words, he comforts his brothers, his attackers. He comforts them and he speaks kindly. Jesus, in his final words, he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus has found in himself the ability to not just to forgive his attackers, but actually to comfort them. So he's pleading on their behalf, to God. That is an example, I think, for all of us. So I want to just end, if I could, I want to pray for every single person here. Um, we have a uh, monumental task ahead of us. We have been called as a church to shine the light for Box Hill. You have been called as a family to shine a light around your community to the people in your midst. We have a monumental task. God is producing good fruit in our life. I tell you, every good thing that happens in your life, every blessing and every resource, that's for the kingdom. But what I want to also say is every suffering, every trial, every tribulation, that's for the kingdom. That's going to produce for you good fruit. And, and I hope that we don't let Satan beat us down. I really do. Because he can beat all kinds of things, but he'll never ever reach that inner part of us. That's why I love that verse. So even though the outer parts are wasting away, even though it doesn't look good on the inside, we're slowly being renewed day by day. We're transforming and God is doing something and working something in us that's going to produce good fruit. And then you'll see 20 years on, 30 years on, see what, see what comes out of your life. See what comes out of the things that God is doing in you. All right? So can you close your eyes and join with me as I pray for all of us? Because I know this is all of us, right? Father God, make us an instrument of your peace. Father God, where there is hatred in our hearts, Lord, help us to so love. Where there has been injury caused to us, 
Help us to pardon like you have pardoned as if we have not tasted of your grace. Lord, help us to also be gracious. Where there is doubt, help us to have faith. And where there is despair, let us see the hope that lies in you, in your steadfast promises, in your said love, in your eternal life. And where there is darkness, help us to see light. And where there is sadness, joy. Lord, transform each of us, our, our families, our church. We give our lives to you and we give you permission as the author, the writer and finisher of our life to have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you. Thanks for coming. Next week,